You're listening to Conversation with the Experts. Hi, my name's Sarah Temby, and I'm an allied health educator in the RCH Allied Health Clinical Education Team. Today, we have Connie Montagnier, who is a senior social worker in the Royal Children's Hospital Social Work Department, and she's been working in this area for 26 years. Today, we'll be discussing psychological trauma responses and what parents and clinicians can do to support. Just a warning, this may be a sensitive topic for some listeners. Welcome, Connie. Thanks, Sarah. So when I think about trauma, I think about a car accident. Uh, are there other types of traumas? Yeah, um, there certainly are. In a paediatric hospital setting, there are multiple presentations of different traumas. So we see lots of different types of trauma here at the RCH. Some examples obvious are the obvious ones, like you mentioned, uh, accidents like motor vehicle accidents. We get dog bites or drownings. Mm-hmm. Other forms of trauma are abuse, so physical, sexual, emotional abuse or family or community violence. We have some patients who come here from war-torn countries who have traumas as a result of war or intergenerational violence. Um, we have children who are involved with statutory services like child protection, which can um, cause uh, some distress. Um, we also have sort of more ongoing sort of responses to trauma, like medical procedures. So some a child, for instance, who may have had a burn might be having to have burn baths, which can be quite painful and therefore, you know, um, can create a trauma response. As a family system, prolonged hospitalizations can cause their own types of trauma responses. And we also have children who can um, have acute deterioration of their health. And in some cases, there's end of life care and bereavement care, which is also sort of has some elements of trauma responses to it. Mm. And so what is psychological trauma? That's a good question. So psychological trauma is, I guess, unique individual experience of a perceived or actual threat of their life or community. For example, a single event like a car accident or a bushfire or two more ongoing repetitive adverse childhood experiences such as family violence. We process trauma in a particular way. Our brain will switch into a very primal survival mode activating the limbic system. This is the part of our brain that houses our emotions, watches for danger, detects joy or fear, and decides what what is important for survival. Um, It also turns off our reasoning function and redirects all of our energy towards what is perceived as a threat. We think of this as our internal alarm, which tells us that we are feeling unsafe. Once activated, this internal arm can create differing responses and commonly known to most as the fight, flight, freeze or submit responses. Okay. And what could these responses to psychological trauma look like? There are many different responses to psychological trauma, Sarah. These responses can have physical symptoms such as fatigue, nausea, headache, dizziness or sweating. They can have increased heart rates, chest pain. Or there's psychological responses such as disorientation, having nightmares or flashbacks are quite common, upsetting mental images and forgetfulness. Emotionally, we can feel fearful, we can feel guilty, angry, anxious, or can even be left completely numb or immobile. 
all these are fairly normal responses. We can have behavioural symptoms, uh, for instance, like, you know, blaming others, changed in appetite, sleeping problems. For children, they can become clingy, irritable, or very hard to soothe. When a child experiences trauma, their responses will vary depending on their age, their developmental stage, the nature of the trauma, how the event has impacted their parents and their caregivers and siblings and family members around them. What's important to understand is that all of these are very normal and common responses and that most young children and adults uh, will recover from these acute traumatic events quickly Mm. without any significant ongoing problems. It's really only a very small percentage of people what will have, a, you know, a very acute distress response or a continued distress response such as a post-traumatic stress disorder. That's a, I didn't even know there were that many responses to tra- mm. psychological trauma. What is important to understand is that these are all pretty normal responses and that most children and young people and adults will recover from an acute traumatic event. The exception to this are children and young people who are exposed to ongoing trauma, such as family violence. In these cases, children and young people are often in this constant state of survival mode, which means that their internal alarm is always switched on. They remain in this constant state of fight, flight or freeze, and often with this type of ongoing trauma will submit. This involves becoming submissive or compliant to the ongoing trauma to prevent any further harm to them, and that this can have ongoing effects on a child's development and mental health. As such, it's probably best if we are supporting children in, or a young person in, in a family violence situation or, an ex, or someone who's exposed to trauma on an ongoing basis to seek some specialist support, such as a family violence service. Absolutely. And you mentioned that the responses to psychological trauma can differ depending on the age and the developmental stage. What are the common responses to trauma in the different age groups? Children and young people can respond to trauma in varying ways depending on their age and development. Um, Babies and toddlers are highly dependent on their family and parents to feel safe and secure. Young children may not have developed the communication skills to be able to express how they are feeling. Adolescents may be more visibly emotional and and have more physical responses. In each case, it's important to understand that they're common, short-lived normal responses children and young people can experience. Some of these are, for instance, elevated levels of distress when separated from their parents or primary caregivers. They can become more clingy. Children may present as disconnected from what's happening around them and they may avoid eye contact or become withdrawn. They may become increasingly irritable or attention-seeking. Some children or young people can lose their appetite, become fussy with their foods. Mm -hmm. They may be more unsettled and much more difficult to soothe than normal. Um, They may regress with some of their developmental skills, and that is really common. For instance, if a child was walking, they might regress to crawling. That's fairly short-lived, and they generally will go back to doing what they would do, but it's very normal for a a young child to regress. They can have sleeping problems, which are very common. 
especially nightmares or flashbacks or intrusive thoughts of the trauma. And that tends to be very short-lived but very common. And we often will talk to families about that so that they're prepared for that and it's not a frightening experience for them. Mm-hmm. You may find changes in mood or behaviour. They may not be as happy as they, they were before. They might be more fearful. In some cases, they may become agitated or even aggressive to family members and peers, and they may have problems with school refusal or wanting to go back to school. These are common. They may have physical responses, like we said earlier, like headaches, stomach aches, or increasing lethargy, and in some cases, memory loss or even problems concentrating. Yeah, these responses sound challenging for the child and the adolescent. And listening to you, I'm a physio by background, and I'm thinking, what would I do if I had a child adolescent um, presenting like that in front of me? What could we do as health professionals out there to help those who are showing signs of psychological trauma? Well, Sarah, I don't think you'd be alone there. Okay. I think a lot of <laughs> <laughs> a lot of our teams sort of really find, you know, psychological distress or trauma responses quite overwhelming, mm. and often, you know, that's why we become involved. But there are some basic things that we know that most people can sort of do to help. We would encourage parents and caregivers as the main port of call to get support for their own trauma because we know that children and young people manage better when supported by parents and caregivers who are in, a, in a, who are managing their own trauma response as well. Mm. If a child has not been connected with their family or parents, we would encourage as soon as possible to reconnect that child with their parent or primary caregiver or with a family member who they have a safe connection with. Often what we would encourage is that we would give facts about why and what happened in a very age-appropriate language, use simple factual terms that children and young people can understand, ask them what they are thinking about the trauma event uh, in the sense If they're wanting to speak about that, we would never encourage or force a child to or a young person to talk about the trauma. Mm. Uh, Often young people make assumptions based on very minimal understanding of event and that can actually be much more frightening than having the very basic information that they need to be able to understand what's going on around them. I think as clinicians, really, really important to stay calm listen to what the young person or child is maybe telling us and listen to their story, acknowledging their story and making sure that you allow time for that conversation and where possible, make it a calm and comfortable environment. Helping me a lot. Yep. Great. (laughs) Allow the child and young person to express their emotions in their own way. As As I told you just before, there's a number of varying different emotional responses, physical responses and ways people can Uh, young people or children will express a trauma. None of them are right or wrong. They're just individual. Mm -hmm. So we need to make sure there's very different ways that children, you know, can express their trauma. Remember, there's no right or wrong way of reacting. Sometimes these conversations can be distressing to the child and young person. Remember, this is a normal response and often very short-lived reassure them that they will be okay and we will get them back to normal in time. Be okay with the child and young person speaking to a trusted other. Sometimes, you know, clinicians or parents are not their first protocol, especially with young adults. Mm. You know, they might um, feel much more safer talking to their friends or other people around them. It's important also to sort of try and maintain a routine uh, that is common to the child or young person. 
And if you're really worried, just seek some support and seek some help. Mm. Thanks, Bonnie. That has definitely given me a starting point before I was like, I don't know what to do. So thank you for that. And do you have any recommendations of who parents and caregivers could contact if they want more assistance with managing psychological trauma? If you have a child or young person who's having, I guess, a prolonged sort of experience of these type of trauma responses, it's always good to probably touch base with your GP as a first port of call. Mm-hmm. They can access what's called a mental health plan via their GP, and that's linking into a counsellor in their local area. If it's a, a young baby, the maternal or sort of under five years of age, a maternal type and health nurse is a really good contact point. There's your local community health centre is, is another good starting point. There are a number of telephone lines such as uh, Lifeline, Grief Line, Beyond Blue, Parent Line, Kids, ha- Kids Helpline. There is also Phoenix uh, Australia, which is the Centre for Post-Traumatic Mental Health, um, and they are a specialist sort of psychological support service. And I guess when we're talking about grief and loss or bereavement, they're a very different type of they're a very different type of support service. So the Centre for Grief and Bereavement are a very good support service to click into. Great, thanks, Connie. There's some great um, support services for us to know about. What would be your three key take-home messages? I guess the, the three things that I would say, just as bare basics, is make sure that you look after your basic care needs. So remembering when we're experiencing a trauma, all those reasoning sort of thoughts go out the window, really. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so our ability to concentrate on basic care needs like eating, hydrating and sleeping and don't become our priority. And they're very important to nurturing ourselves mm. so that we can manage our our um, psychological distress. So making sure that we look after our basic needs. One of the common things that I say is eat, hydrate and sleep. Very three very basic things that can go a very long way in looking after yourself. Uh, understand that the emotional responses that you're feeling in most cases are very short-lived and normal and seek help if you're worried. Great. Thank you, Connie. And thank you so much for talking today about your experience as a senior social worker in working with patients and families who experience psychological trauma. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Have you heard? The Education Hub has a new podcast channel, Teach, Think, Treat. This new channel explores facets of clinical education and is a melting pot of ideas that will support your journey as a healthcare professional. Thanks for listening. To find out more, See the description.